This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On today. We've got two great guests who are really going to help us think more deeply about energy and interconnectedness. Dr. Stephen G. Post is here. His new book is God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. Dr. Post, I feel like I've spoken to you before. I did a book some years ago that was pretty successful. It was called Why Good Things Happen to Good People, How to Live a Happier, Healthier, Longer Life by the Simple Act of Giving. It was a while ago. This one, this one is the, the sort of the back, the, the, the back story. It's more the spiritual background of, okay. the, of well, the idea. Here's, so. I want to hear all about it. And here's where I have to start. And it's in the, in the praise for God and love on Route 80. When Deepak Chopra says of your book, Stephen G. Post, in this highly readable and deeply profound book, shares his journey to that which is whole, holy, and healed in all of us, beyond the secret passages, the dark alleys, and ghost-filled attics of our individual conditioned and separate minds, there is a single, infinite, boundless awareness that differentiates into all observers, all modes of observation, and all objects observed. We can call it Ein Sof. I've never heard of that. I hope I pronounced it correctly. Brahman, non-local mind, God, Allah, or the self. Transcendence to this domain is the experience of absolute love and spontaneous creativity, intuition, insight, and higher vision. Stephen G. Post, did Deepak hit the nail on the head with this one? Oh, he sure did. He's talking about what many refer these days uh, to as the one mind hypothesis, that somehow there's this original mind underlying the universe and uh, we can become aware of it. We can become aware of it in our own selves, in, the, in everyone we meet, and that there is this sort of fundamental oneness uh, in, in the human circumstance. What does it feel like when we come to meet this oneness? <laughs> well, that's why this book is so risky, because I've been a medical school professor in Chicago, Case Western, Stony Brook, and so forth for many, many years. But this is a, begins with a boyhood experience I had at the age of 15 in St. Paul's School in New Hampshire. I had a dream of a road to the west and someone about to lean off a ledge and jump. And I didn't believe in angels. I guess I still don't. But an angel, a blue angel, said, well, if you save him, you too shall live. And then if you fast forward a couple of years, I actually hitchhiked out to the West on Route 80, hence God and Love on Route 80. And I was going up to Reed College in Portland. It was early in the morning. The fog was very heavy. I was walking across the Golden Gate Bridge, and I heard a little rustling to my left. It was only possible to see four or five feet away from me, but there was this long, blonde-haired youth who I saw in my dream, and he was about to jump. And I said to him, I truly hope you don't plan to jump. And he got so angry, he started screaming and cursing. And I told him, look, 
just calm down. I want to tell you, I think I came out here all the way from New York, left my parent, my dad's secondhand Mercedes 190, broken down on Route 80 at the Lewisburg exit. And here I am, and I think I was supposed to meet you. And we talked for a while. I calmed him down. I asked him to walk on my side of the of the railing, which he did. And I gave him a present, which was a Gahon Zone, a Buddhist scroll, which I picked up in uh, Mission District, where I spent the summer playing classical guitar in Hispanic restaurants. I explained it to him. It was all about one mind. It was about the ultimate reality of, of life and love and kindness. And I said, if you take this, walk down the bridge, walk south on the bridge, you can go to my cousin George Lamont's place. I gave him a note. You can spend the rest of the summer there. And I'm just going to wish you well. And so we shook hands. His name was Harry. And I went up to uh, up to uh, Oregon, and he turned out to be okay. He finally uh, got it together, and he went back to North Carolina. And so for me, that was an, a, 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 some, something of evidence that we can have a, a dream two years before an event and 3,000 miles away. And somehow it can seem to be true. Now, I can't put 100% on that. But that's my impression. Okay. When you met this young man on the bridge, did you remember the dream in that moment, or did that happen later? I remembered it uh, intuitively in the moment, and as I walked north on the bridge, and especially as all the clouds disappeared, which actually happened in the dream, too. Suddenly it was all bright blue. Uh, It was a hugely beautiful blue sky as I walked north, uh, yeah, absolutely, and I I suspected that this was this was all premonitional. And I got up to read. Uh, I was there in the days of Steve Jobs. We took a course called Alchemy 101 together, by the way. And in the winter, in January, I, uh, some guy we didn't know came bounding into the coffee shop. His name was Andy, and he said, "I've got a brand new Harley Davidson shovelhead motorcycle. Who wants to go for a ride?" And I, like a fool, said, "I'll go." And it was about it was about nine at night, um, and it was raining, not snowing, but slushy. And uh, he went at 180 miles an hour all through Portland, Oregon, for an hour south on the Pacific Coast Highway. I was screaming. I was crying. I thought my life was over. And then he did this incredible uh, sort of evil Knievel U-turn over the midway. He dropped me off exactly where he picked me up. It was 11 at night, West Coast time. I walked over the ravine to my dormitory, Ackerman Dormitory. I never picked up the phone. The payphone was on the wall. And as I crossed the threshold, it rang, and I just felt somehow intuitively that I have to pick up the phone. And I went over, and I picked it up, and I said, hello, and it was my mom from New York. And she said, Stevie, thank God you're alive. I had this incredible dream. I woke up. I'm sweating. I'm fearful. Are you okay? I said, Mom, what was your dream? She said, well, I thought you were dead. And I said, well, I thought I was too, and I explained that to her. And so this is a book about these kinds of incredible events of uncanny synchronicity. Jung called it synchronicity, these kinds of connections that suggest that we're more, we're more in tune with one another than we realize. And if we would somehow just slow down and learn how to cultivate uh, and listen to the whispers, uh, see the winks, uh, hear, hear it around us, 
we would recognize that we're more we're more connected and that more cherished than maybe we ever imagined. We're talking to Dr. Stephen G. Post, his book, God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. Did you say Steve Jobs? Yeah, I did. You took a class with him. Reed College, Portland, Oregon. He was only there for about six months, enrolled, but then he dropped out and hung around for about a year and a half before he went to India to the ashram. The voice in the dream that said to you, this is going back to when you were 15, the voice in the dream that said to you, if you save this person, you too will be saved. Whose voice was that, and what did it mean? I I really had no idea what it meant. I talked with my classmates at St. Paul's about the dream. We had a we had a class on on Jung and mysticism. I even went to Yale Divinity School and talked at a class on adolescent spirituality uh, with a Jungian theologian up there. But um, you know, to me, I was I was it was a mystery. But it recurred six times over the course of a year, and so I suspected that maybe it was somehow this one mind uh, trying to break through my sort of everyday mundane consciousness um, and. Um, you know, that's when I was 17. I had this argument with my parents because I, I wanted to teach and tutor in the Bronx that summer, and they said it was too dangerous. Um, and I loved tutoring, and that's what I'd done most of my life thus far. And so my dad, who was the president of W and J Sloan's department store on Fifth Avenue across from Scrivener's Bookstore, Henry Post, he said, "Well, I'll get you a job at Bill De Bono's lampshade factory." <laughs> <laughs> so for two weeks, for two weeks, I cut cardboard in a in a, in a room that was not air conditioned and full of smoke. And then I just got so upset with it, I I drove out to West Hampton Beach, where some of my friends lived from school. And about 11 at night, I said, you know, I am i don't want to go to Swarthmore. I was supposed to go to Swarthmore. I just want to go west. I'm going to follow my dream. And I drove that car. I drove it on the Sunrise Highway. I drove through the Midtown Tunnel. I drove across the George Washington Bridge. And I saw that sign that said 90 West. And I just followed it and followed it. And um, I, I never really quite knew what the dream meant, although when I got to Lewisburg, uh, which is out in the middle of Pennsylvania. It was about five in the morning. The generator broke, so all the power was dead. I had just been thinking about turning around and going home and redeeming my reputation, but all I could do was get over on the right shoulder. So I wrote a note, and this is a famous note in my family. It says, to the Pennsylvania State Police, please return this car to Henry A.V. Post, 44 Davidson Lane East, West Islip, New York, from his son, Stephen, who no longer works in the lampshade factory, 516-669-5655. And my dad never quite forgave me for that. But anyway, that's the story. And and, and so I kind of thought, as I was doing that class on... Um, uh, at, at Reed on uh, Alchemy 101, I was thinking that, you know, maybe it was just the destiny of it all that the car broke, because I took that as a sign that I should actually keep going west, and I went west, and it was a great summer, and I met that, I met Harry on the bridge, and I think that if I, um, I drew, an, I got a really bad draft number, so I called the Reed College people, although I turned them down, and I said I was going to Swarthmore instead. But they made a spot for me because I told them I did not want to go to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So that explains some of that. But at any rate, yeah, I mean, I, I, as, as, as I grew older, I saw more and more value in the dream, and 
of most of my research over the years has been on how we benefit from helping others. As so, hence, you know, why good things happen to good people, how to live a happier, healthier, longer life through the simple, simple act of giving, mm. and you know, a lot of things on you know, give and glow, and all these kinds of books and articles and science and so forth that I've been focused on because. Uh, Somehow or another, that uh, that dream shaped my life. I, I find this part interesting, and maybe I shouldn't get hung up on this part, the part where it says, if you save him, you you save yourself. I mean, it, the dream sort of feels destined that you were to save him. Is, is Was there another option? I mean, is there another parallel <laughs> universe where the ending was different? You know, how do you feel about that? Oh, um, I don't think that things are completely predetermined. But I believe in guidance, and I believe in synchronicity, and I believe it was up to me. You know, eventually, by the way, I, I dropped out of the University of Pennsylvania PhD program in immunology and went to the University of Chicago Divinity School to study shamanism with Mercia Eliade and to study with Joseph Campbell on, on journeys and so forth. So I, I I believe that there's personal responsibility, that it's not all predetermined, but on the journey you encounter, you have to have faith in the journey, you have to step into the journey, and you have to uh, encounter the people you meet as if somehow that's intended. And so all throughout my life, uh, all over the, all, wherever I've been, I've always felt that way. I don't really make my life. I respond to what comes into my path. And and that event on the bridge, I think it was meant to happen, but I had to be there. I had to respond to it. I mean, I could have I could have not not gone west on Route 80. I could have gone home and I could have had a much more ordinary summer. Oh my goodness. I wish I could speak to you all day, but we only have a few moments left. And I think, well, first, everyone, put this on your reading list this summer, God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectingness. I love what you say about, you know, saying yes to the people you meet on your life, trust the journey. If someone's in your life, they're meant to be there, even if they're annoying you, I guess. Um, What can you tell us as a takeaway thought as to how we can reach out to this hidden mystery of human connectedness. Okay, so guess what? I'm going to quote Eleanor Roosevelt, Casey, because she's one of my favorites. (laughs) I didn't didn't see that one coming. (laughs) Okay. She said, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. And if you have a mysterious dream one day and you doubt it, and that's reasonable, but somehow there's a little voice in the back of your mind that says, you know, this could be guidance, this could be true. Maybe it is. And if, you've, you know, if you're in a situation like that, sometimes you want to follow it, and that'll change your whole life, and it certainly changed mine. Are dreams the only way that we can find the connectedness, or are there other signals along the way? Oh, oh, absolutely, other signals. Just the uncanny moments when somehow or another you've been worrying about something, just the perfect person out of the blue with the perfect thought, the perfect response just kind of shows up in, 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 in your path. That's what Jung called synchronicity. He called it uncaused causality. It's not normal cause and effect. It suggested to him that there is this cosmic consciousness and it cherishes us. We are part of it, and we are able to connect in these crucial moments under the power of love. 
Dr. Stephen G. Post, God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. I want to do a retreat weekend and just have everybody talk about these wonderful synchronous moments that have happened in our lives. We're going to have to do that one day. But hold this thought about how the energy pings around the universe. And then it's maybe a little easier to understand how money is just another one of those energies. Margaret Donahue is here. She is a feng shui and energy expert. Her new book is called Money is an Energy Game. Everything is energy. So since everything is energy, money is energy. And all of this is really about understanding our energy and how we interact with it. And everything we do is is comprised of energy and energies all around. The book is called Money is an Energy Game, and it's filled with expert money attraction tools, which is fabulous. But can you speak to us a little bit about how we might be getting the money energy game wrong? I would say we, we never get it wrong because we always get whatever it is we're putting out. So the question might be, how do you want it to be different? So if you want to be more abundant or more prosperous, then it really is learning how to play that game differently. And a big part of it is we're often blocking ourselves. We're blocking our own energy or a clean flow of energy by the thoughts we're thinking, um, stories we're telling other people, the way we're interacting um, with uh, events all around us. Tell me that right there. You've used interacting now twice. What do you mean when you say by the way we're interacting with events? What does that mean? Uh, Say uh, posting um, negative things on social media. That's a big one these days. Responding to negative stories with, you know, a spiral down versus you can hear the news and interpret it a different way and begin to spiral up. Take a positive outlook on it or look at how um, you might shift a situation rather than being sucked in by a situation and spiraling down. Oftentimes, you know, say gossip. Gossip goes around and you might tend to agree with it and then add to it. So whatever is happening, you are, you know, you're contributing to that story. So you can tell different stories, tell positive stories, or tell a negative story in a new way with a new twist that has a different ending to it. And this affects my money? It certainly does. It certainly does, because everything is energy. So what happens is when you're in a negative mode, um, say you're depressed, or you're um, out there telling negative stories, or you're down on yourself, feeling like you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not, say, perhaps earning enough. Those are all situations where you're pushing money away from you. So uh, give us some tools then. Give us some money of attraction tools. I know we can find 300 pages worth in the Money is an Energy Game book. (laughs) Yes, we have over 100 tools and tips in there. So one of my favorite ones is a um, technique that we call workshopping. It's an Abraham Hicks technique for anyone who's familiar with Abraham Hicks. And it just takes 68 seconds a day, so a little bit more than a minute, a minute and eight seconds. And what you do is you get yourself into what I would call a high vibration state, just a happy state. And you know, just recall a really positive event when you really, really felt great. And then begin envisioning the outcome of what you want. Not how you're going to get it or not how something's going to come to you, but the end result. Just fast forward to the end result and feel really, really happy about that and really feel how you'll feel when it happens. And then hold that vibration for at least 17 seconds. And you can do this in four 17-second increments. So if you can hold it for 17, then you feel like doing another segment 
go go to 34, and then just keep adding it up, but just a little bit more than a minute a day, and that will help you to shift. That is huge. What, what happens when we do that? What happens when you do that is you are shifting your own energy. And when you shift, so you're, you're raising what I would call it is your vibration. And when you're raising your vibration, you're going to begin to come into contact with other events that are on that same um, vibrational level, that same frequency. Because we're always attracting to ourselves events and people and circumstances that you're humming along with, that you're in harmony with. And it, it, it all has to do with your own vibration and your own frequency. So if you're down in the dumps, you're going to attract down-in-the-dump experiences. As you come up that frequency scale, you're going to attract more harmonious or, or happier um, circumstances to yourself. And money, it doesn't have to come in the form of cash. It can come, it, money, it's, it's really about prosperity and it's, it's about blessings. So somebody could um, give something to you. You could um, win it. You might get a discount somewhere. All sorts of things. But amazing things will happen once you start switching your energy and you focus on being happier and healthier every day. Okay. What are some of your practices? What do you do every day? One of the things I did uh, right before I was speaking with you is I sat down and I uh, meditated for 40 minutes. And, and then I did a little bit of Tai Chi um, to um, loosen up my um, body and get my, my own Chi going. I eat um, really good food, so we've been cooking a lot. Um, I try to bring in high-vitality food, which is um, organic and fresh. So these are all things that help to um, keep me in, in good spirits. So it is time to make this shift. And you used, for Money is an Energy Game, many feng shui techniques in your encyclopedia yes. of money attraction tools. Give us some feng shui tips we can take away with us today. Could you please? From the um, Western perspective of feng shui, we use a symbolic map called the Bagua, and this has nine life areas. So there is one area that's associated with wealth, prosperity, and abundance. It is the back left corner. So it's the back left corner of your house from when you come into your house, the main architectural entrance. It is the back left corner of every room. It's the back left corner of your studio. It's the back left corner of your land. And so this back left corner holds energy for prosperity. So you want to make sure that the chi is um, free-flowing in there, that you take away any clutter. Clutter blocks energy. So that is one of the first and foremost things that you can do to shift the money vibration in your life is go, go around, in addition to your wealth area, go around your whole house and just alleviate clutter. Clutter is anything that you don't like or you don't use because it, it bogs your energy down. Um, this time of year, give, give your space a good spring cleaning. Really spruce it up. So um, from a feng shui perspective, your space is a mirror of your inner self. So it's, it's like a dance back and forth. We connect with our space and our space connects with us. And when you go and refresh and energize your space, you're helping to attract good chi into that area and also good chi or good energy to you. And you can also enhance the area after, say, thinned it out and cleaned it up. Fresh flowers, a fresh plant in there. You might hang a crystal, a mirror, something nice to hang in the wealth area as well. Keep it really alive and, um, and fresh. You might have something that reminds you of um, prosperity or wealth or abundance. That's great to um, have in that area. 
Okay. Margaret Donahue, money is an energy game. I'm in big trouble. Do you know what's in the back left corner of my house when you walk in? Tell me. In the back left corner? Tell it's, me. It's an old piece of farm equipment. It's a rusted old, like, um, like a hoe or something, like farm okay. equipment. But it's all well, rusted and old. It looks so cute in my little farmhouse kitchen, but I've got to get it out of there. Well, I was going to say, well, how do you feel about that, and, and why is it there? I, you know, because I've got this farmhousey thing going on. It's my new mm-hmm. look. And I just, sure. my neighbor was moving, and he had it out on the front lawn, and it was all rusted. And I was like, that's cool looking. I'll put it in my kitchen. But okay. I, I'm not sure I want rust in my wealth corner. I think that's a great connection. I would take the hoe and maybe move it out to the garden or the shed yep. and um, put something alive in there, put something fresh something vibrant. Oh, good. Something that reminds you, uh, brings in vitality, bring in, um, you know, uh, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, that sort of thing. All right. Mm -hmm. So the back left corner of your home, of every room, the back left corner of every room. The back left corner relates to prosperity. Another um, thing I would always recommend is pay attention to your front door. Have a great front entrance. So you want, because the front door is the most important part of your um, home and your space and even coming into your business because this is how you attract chi um, to you or energy to you. So you want that front entrance to be open, to be as spacious as you can. It helps to have a wavy path of going into it. Coming into your house, don't have a lot of shoes, you know, scattered about right at the door. You might put them in a basket or, you know, organize them somehow. Same thing with um, coat. Again, clutter, you know, just alleviate clutter. If that's all you do, if there's one thing everybody does every day, is go around and just alleviate clutter or straighten things up, you'll be doing wonders for your energy and attracting um, prosperity to yourself. That's Margaret Donahue. The book, Energy is a Money Game. Now we all have to go clean out back left corners. But first, our thought for the day from Deepak Chopra, who said, When we seek money or a good relationship or a great job, what we are really seeking is happiness. The mistake we make is not going for happiness first. If we did, everything else would follow. Shana. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260 and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.